Jennifer, it's our last. Is this it? Yeah. Well, before it's New the Year's end of Eve, December. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have New Year's Eve coming as always, everyone. We've recorded that one already. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Also, but fun. It was fun. Halfway through recording, my computer just shut itself down. So there's like a good 15 minutes where I'm where just gone. I'm really just flying solo, <laughs> holding down the fort. And I was like, "Am I being smoted?" And I, so I don't know. I'm a little scared that Eric's going to be you like, weren't. "It was fine." What? If anybody audio? was going to get smoted on that episode, it wasn't going to be you or me. It was going to be those other people who were just gross. That's true. That's true. Not gross. Gross in a good way. Like. In a delightful way. Yeah. I've never had so in much like fun. In like a yeah. wowzer kind of way. <laughs> Although I did, when I was re-listening to the Santa episode, I was sort mm. of delighted by how much fun we were having. Listen. We have fun here at Faded Mates. Welcome everyone to Faded Mates. We have fun here. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels, and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Brokop, a romance reader and editor. And today we have a deep dive, a read-along, yes. um, that we're very excited about because we think K.J. Charles is just superior and a great person to have around in romance in 2022. 100%. Uh, but we have other things. We're going to do a little banter. Sure. Because I have things I want to talk about, Jen. Okay, I'm ready. I want to talk about how it feels like publishing is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I don't even know what to say about any of it, honestly. Listen, the USA Today list disappeared and no one noticed. <laughs> you noticed and then Except everybody else me, noticed. like in my office going, has anybody noticed that the USA Today list just didn't happen this week? And now here's the truth. Most of you out there have never looked at the USA Today list. Sure. And that is totally reasonable because why? <laughs> and I was thinking a lot this week about how like I'm a little bummed that the USA Today list is going away. And like, but also, why does it matter? Like, what's the big deal? Because yeah. most of you out there have never looked at the USA Today list. And it really matters to you not at all that on the front of a lot of covers it says, this book is by Sarah McLean, USA Today bestseller. I think as a reader, there's certain things that happen on a book cover, right? That, or on a blurb if you're just looking online, you know, like Kobo or Amazon or whatever. And it's really funny because, like, I think different... Okay, here's my theory, Sarah. You know how you go to a parking garage and, like, you get off on the floor and there's a color and a number and a picture, right? You're like, it's four, it's pink, it's skiing. An owl. Right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that marketing for books must work on a similar, like, level, right? So it's like, they'll say USA Today bestseller. They'll have a blurb from another author. They'll have, you know, like, the color or, you know, some, like, all... Beautiful cover beautiful cover. Lenny Kaufman. And it must be that different people tune into different things. Because it's... And it's funny because I will notice if it says New York Times or USA Today bestseller, but, like... You and I have looked at covers before, and you're like, oh, look at that blurb from so-and-so. And I was like, I never I don't care about that. I never care about that, right? Yeah. So yeah. I do think some people do use it as kind of a, look, a I lot of people so like this author. I think it's a barometer for like, should I try this book? Well, she's a bestseller. Maybe I'll give it a whirl. Right. But what's interesting, and... I'll tell you, I gave this interview to the Associated Press, and they did not take the smartest thing I said and put it in print, which is a bummer, but actually works out for me great, because I'm going to say it here, and 
that's what we're going to do. I did this interview for uh, the Associated Press Publishing Reporter about why it was a big deal, right? And so, like, it's a big deal for authors for lots of reasons. Like, it's how we measure ourselves against the rest of the field. It's, like, how we, in many cases, like, get a sense of the lay of the land, especially now where, you know, this is – if you pay attention to the New York Times bestseller list, for example, for the last, like, I don't know, almost year – it's been dominated by one author. Right. Right? Colleen Hoover has nine, eight or nine slots this week alone. And, like, that's remarkable in its own sense. Like, right. it's so amazing and worth talking about. But none of the people who write books <laughs> are getting anywhere near that list right now. And so we really don't have a sense of, like, where we fall in the in the world. But USA Today was 150 books every week, all mixed together. Nothing was separated out. You knew, you know, where you sold compared to how many books you were selling compared to, you know, How the Grinch Stole Christmas Mm -hmm. or The Very Hungry Caterpillar or at the beginning of the school year, like The Great Gatsby or, you know, whatever. And so it was always sort of a great way of a real, a real cool way of looking at the whole field. And sort of understanding who we are every week as a right. culture, right. I think. Yeah, right? I agree. So it's like Michelle Obama's book hits at number one, and you right. think like, okay, that's cool. Like, she moved a lot of books that week. That makes me feel good. Right. And like, I don't know, um, Tucker Carlson's book hits at number one on another week, and you think, oh, what's happening? Like, who? Like, right. you know, you sort of have these kind of – Big questions that can be answered or noodled or, you know, whatevered by looking at this list. But more importantly, it feels so what, so USA Today, the list is 150 books um, long and that's on online. You could always go and see the top 150 best selling books in the country online. But in the paper, every Thursday, they would run the top 50. Mm. They would print the top 50. Got it. And here's where I netted out this week thinking about like what what's probably happening, which is the demise of the list, right? Yeah. We don't know for sure, but it's definitely on hiatus through the end of the year and we're supposed to be receiving more information in the new year. And I think it's pro- the, the information in the new year is going to be- It's done. This list is done. However, the idea that a national newspaper published and like disseminated in hotels and coffee shops and newsstands and everywhere else every week published the top 50 books in the country yeah felt like it was important in the sense of as we're looking at you all know that Jen and I are very concerned about book bannings and the way that we talk about books right yeah. now in the world and the way we think about books as pieces of culture and as i you know as re- reflections of our identity and as as places and touchstones for kids and other people who are searching for themselves and so this idea that like somewhere there was a national newspaper that was committed to like this batch of books, children's books, right. mysteries, thrillers, nonfiction, all in one all in one big list. Pile. It felt like it was, it feels like the loss of it is substantive because books are important. Books matter. 
more so than that, too, or on top of that, it was also the only place where romance kind of got a fair shot, right? Yeah. Dr. Seuss and the Very Hungry Caterpillar and Michelle Obama and Colleen Hoover, all are the, they're all books. <laughs> and so yes. we're going to give you that list in this order. And, you know, it's, it, there were like dark days where you're kind of like felt this, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about like the shame of romance, right? Like the sure. way people feel. And then you look at that list and think, oh no, everybody was real excited. Yeah. <laughs> the week that, you know what I mean? Whatever. Well, I mean, somebody reminded me, I mean, they didn't need to remind me that that list is ascend- is really remarkably important for indie romance. They don't writers, have a shot right? otherwise. Like, if you publish exclusively an ebook, the odds of you landing on the New York Times list are slim, right? Unless you're Colleen Hoover. I mean, we can put into show notes, there was this great piece in Esquire two weeks ago. I mean, it's publishing right. feels like it's on fire because there's a lot going on right now. Right. But there was this fascinating piece in Esquire that was basically about how the, me- the methodology of the New York Times bestseller list is so obscure and hazy, and no one can, yeah. no one knows. It's just all guesswork from everyone that we just don't under, we don't know how that, that list is impenetrable for lots of reasons. So if you're an independently published or self-published romance author who is exclusively publishing an E, the odds of you hitting the New York Times list are slim to none. But Jennifer Armentrout, who does self-publish often. Her book hit number one, I remember, about a year ago on the New York Times, no, on the USA Today list. Yep. But it didn't touch, it was nowhere Yeah, on the New York Times list. And the idea that you could hit USA Today at number one. Sure. And not even rank on the Times list was shocking. Yeah. It was a sort of final proof that there was something stinky about these lists. Well, I don't know if I even ever told you this, but back in like the summer of 2020, which was the summer of Beach Read, right? The summer mm-hmm. of the pandemic, everybody was at home. I was really like, I'm going to crack the code. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I was actually keeping track on a separate spreadsheet of just like what was hitting on the New York Times list and then like where it was on USA Today. And so that entire summer, like Beach Read was on the New York Times list. And yet its numbers on USA Today were fluctuating wildly, right? Mm-hmm. And the same with like other books on the list, you know, like Circe is always on the New York Times list and was that whole summer, but like it was not on the USA Today list at all, right? And so it was sort of this, but and then at some point I was like, I'm a middle school English teacher. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, right? Like yeah. I could look at it and know, like all I could, all I could say is like, well, I'm comparing like apples to oranges, like they're both books, but who the fuck knows what you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I so none of this really surprises me at all, right? No, but sometimes something's hits you in the face with the truth of it. Yeah. And you think, oh, well, that's irrefutable. Right. And like for you, it was that number one. And for was me, that. it was watching a book, like a romance book that people loved. I'm not this is I'm nothing. This is not at all about Beach Read mm-hmm. as a book or as a read. It's just I was kind of like 
how's this happening, right? Like, who's yep. who's deciding? Who's massaging one list and, and not look, the other? None of these lists are straight numbers games. Like, the USA Today list also didn't include absolutely everything that it could have included. USA, yeah. And so it's just, uh, who knows? Who knows? The point is, I don't, I mean, I don't really know where ta- why I'm talking about this, but I'm talking about it because it's about romance in, in a lot of romance, ways. And yeah. we have a podcast and it's free and I can talk about what I want. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say, like, that's it's sad. It's a sad, it's sad for me. I think it's sad for a lot of authors. I think it's a real big blow for a lot of indie authors. You know, I did see, I saw somebody, I saw a few people saying, oh, you got to download the list now to prove, be able to prove that you were ever on it. No one's going to ask you to prove. I mean, calm down, everyone. At no point is anybody going to ask you to prove that you were on the list. Right. <laughs> but also, unfortunately, there's a reason why we don't say, like, I'm a, I was a Borders bestseller anymore. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. I was a Borders bestseller. Who cares? But right, that doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, not valuable anymore in any way. And so I think like the un- the deeply unfortunate thing is like yeah, now that that barometer is probably gone. Yeah, and and where do we go from here? TikTok numbers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating. I think discoverability. It's just getting more and more challenging. I want to I want to like pour one out for BuzzFeed for the book section at BuzzFeed, which I mean the the people who were writing about books at BuzzFeed were really doing a great job. They they cared a lot about books and they cared a lot about romance. Um, book forum too, which was not a romance thing, but like was a massive massive juggernaut of a place for lit literary fiction for finding like new brilliant voices in lit fig yep announced it was closing this week it's just rough out here in these streets i saw a really i saw a really interesting like sort of i don't know twitter thread i guess and it was about somebody saying like in chicago they like shut down all you know like all the newspapers got bought and then there's this mm-hmm. thing called block club chicago which is like an independent newsroom and it's subscription and you know they essentially it's like we're going to go direct to you and you're going to pay us directly and we are going to do the news for you and you know mm-hmm. you see that model with um after they shut down deadspin which was like a sports a huge sports site it's called the defector now, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's like the same model. And I saw somebody say, like, maybe we need this for books. You know, like maybe we need somebody to spearhead the like subscription model. And you know, my big fear, of course, is that it would just be Lidfic or but like part of me is like, hell yes, like let's get on board. Call yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen. Here's what I will say. As much as I'm always cranky about, like, Lickfic gets all the attention and romance doesn't get any attention, look, like, the loss of book forum is huge. Is massive for, like, I mean, so many of the most brilliant, most revered, most remarkable authors ever in the history of, you know, modern publishing came through book forum. Yeah. And so, you know, it is a loss for them in a way that it's, you know, it's a loss for all of us. But sure. Like, I, I subscribed never- to book forum. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. shit, that, you know? So so what I will say is this. If you are out there and you were like, come on, you guys, call to action, what do we do? Yeah. Here's what you do. 
when something goes by and it is an article or a roundup or a something about a genre that you care about, click on it, read it. Like one of the biggest, one of the biggest problems is like we lose BuzzFeed, but like how many of us really read the book section at BuzzFeed? Every day or every right. you know few days, right? And so you have in order to for these these places to survive, we have to consume them. Yeah. And so uh, that's what I would say is like do what you can every once in a while to like click the link and read the article. Yeah. And I know there are so many links and so many articles, um, but that stuff is important, and uh, we know the websites track what articles get the most clicks. Yeah. And so you know. I guess. I guess that's part of it. Yeah. I don't know. But also, and like not to toot our own horn, (laughs) but like you guys are here with us every Wednesday and every Wednesday we try to talk about books we love and books that we think you'll love. Um, If you're an author out there and you're concerned about discoverability, you can always run an ad with us. Um, Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's my big, my big push for ads. (laughs) it feels weird to push for ads, but, like, you know, we're here, and we're not going anywhere. Right. Nobody's canceling us. Nope. We're not getting laid off today <laughs> from Faded Mates. No, we are not. Thank Unless goodness. Eric's going to storm in here right now. You're like, Jennifer. You're both fired. <laughs> Show notes are not up to par. <laughs> He's like, we're thinking of making a change. <laughs> we're bringing in Adriana and Kate. <laughs> Listen, I, I, you know what? I would listen to that. We're kidding. We're gonna. We're in it to win it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I feel really. I feel it feels like it feels like one of these times when you can't really see what's happening right now, but in three mm-hmm. years or five years, we'll look back and be like, "Oh, that's what was happening." Right? Yeah. Lots of things are changing. Yeah. Lots yeah. of things are different. A lot of the houses are picking up, you know, indie books that are already big successes in KU. A lot of, um, you know, it feels like KU is just shaking up every day that the people who are on top are now, like, yeah. selling less. And, like, there are new people every day over there really making it work. And, yes, TikTok and, yes, Bookstagram and, you know. So if you have a place where you are finding really great stuff um, and and you think it's unsung or secret or whatever, hit yeah. us up. Tell us because uh, we're interested in finding yeah. just more, more book stuff out there. I mean, basically, Sarah, when I'm not actually reading books, my preferred state of being is to be either thinking about books or talking about books or reading about books. Or reading books. Well, that's like number one. But if I can't be doing that's that, a. <laughs> if I, that's next level. <laughs> yes, agreed. <sighs> what a what a world! I think, I think that's awesome. But like listening to myself say that, it also sounds like maybe I need to. I don't know. Drink a glass of wine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, instead, why don't we talk about this book that we like? This week's episode of Fate of Mates is sponsored by Jay Viner, author of Jane of Battery Park. Sarah, what's interesting about this book, I think, is uh, Hollywood is really big right now. And here, oh, yeah, I love right? it. Right? But one of the things you, it's always so glitzy and glammy, but here we get sort of the seedy underbelly of 
Los Angeles because Jane, our main character, grew up in a cult. Whoa. And this cult was really obsessed with, like, putting celebrities on trial for their sins. Ooh. And this same cult had a huge impact on Daniel, our hero. So they have this, like, sort of really twisted kind of past. And what happens is it's now eight years later, right? Like, they're both grown-ups. They've kind of, like, kind of come to terms with where they are. You know, Jane is kind of trying to be normal again, right? Like, learn all the stuff that she didn't learn growing up in this cult. While Daniel is really trying to get his Hollywood brother to put him in a movie. And so the two of them together are, like, unexpectedly reunited. But what's going to mean is, can they, like, figure out how to make these lives they've always wanted, right? After everything was stolen from them. Yeah, it sounds intense. It does. And I just think that there's, like, lots of, like, over-involved families and angsty drama. And I think that that is really great to read um, when you're just in the mood for something you really sink your teeth into. Yeah. So you can read Jane of Battery Park right now in print, ebook, or audiobook. You can find Jay Viner at Twitter at J, J-A-Y-E, Viner, V-I-N-E-R, or on Instagram at J underscore Viner. Thanks to Jay for sponsoring this week's episode. <gasps> Gosh. So this is Band Sinister by K.J. Charles. I picked it because it's, I think it's my favorite. This is what, a couple years old? Let me think. I don't, 20, 2018. 2018, that would have been my guess. And um, when I think about, like, why it's my favorite, I think it's like, you know, I love characters back into, backed into a corner, right? A guy and Amanda sort of start off like that. I really think... Um, what I love about this book the most, though, is just, like, the cast of characters. Yes, I was going to say, you love the community in yes. this book. It's a great community of characters. Yeah. And I think, so I think it's like, a. I mean, I don't want to, like, make my big power list at the beginning, but as I was rereading it, I found myself thinking, like, why is this the one that I always come back to? Or why is this the one I... I like think of with such fondness. And I feel like it just hits a lot of those notes, but also, I think also, of course, KJ Charles is just so brilliant. And there's so many cool, really interesting things about this book that I think would be fun to talk about. So I agree. Um, I have read this before, but I, so when we decided we were going to do a KJ Charles episode, I mean, we should say that we did not decide we were doing a band sinister episode. We just decided we wanted to do a K.J. Charles book because we think K.J. Charles is awesome, like one of the best of us. I mean, and I think that's empirically true, and I have lots of feelings about why. But um, so this was not my pick, but it was Jen's pick, and it was only not my pick because I have another favorite of hers, which is Wanted, A Gentleman, which is a road trip romance that I love a whole lot. Um, But the... Going back and reading this, I definitely had read it before, Um, and I just was reminded on every page of how great a writer she is. Like, And we know this because even if you've never read any of KJ's books, um, she is an—I think she is an editor. She was an editor, right, at like Mills and Boone, right? yeah. So there's obviously a real love of romance and what romance does and the way the books work and, you know, how books, how romances are structured and what they, what they are supposed to be, right? All of that is, is sort of bedrock to her writing. But the thing that 
I come back to over and over again is this sense of like, man, she really thinks about every sentence. Yes. She is a writer's writer, right? Yeah. She's a she's up there with Kate Claiborne in my head. I would agree with as that. As like somebody who really thinks carefully about every word. And I know to a lot of people like, well, you know, you're a writer, like, don't you think carefully about every word? And I would say, no, that is not what some of, like, that is not how we all write. And I would say it's not how I write. Like, I think about, I think a lot about vibes and feelings Mm -hmm. and, like, how do I want the pacing of the language to go? And, like, what do I want the scene to feel like? But, like, you can really see it in writers who, like, care about every single syllable and how they string together. Um, And this book is really, it's perfect in that sense. Yeah. So I guess we could start off with like a little bit of a plot summary. Yes. Tell everyone about this book, Jen. (laughs) So um, our main character is Guy Frisbee, and he and his sister Amanda essentially like live kind of on the, they're like poor relatives, right, Of of a difficult an unpleasant woman named Aunt Beatrice, who I always imagine is like Amelda Staunton. Is that her name? In my, mm-hmm. I've, I've fan casted this terrible woman. Part of the reason that they are in this situation, and they're in their, she's 25 maybe. So he's like 28 or 29. I can't remember. They're like, you know. He's and, old. Yeah. They're like spinsters essentially, both of them. And their mother ran away with a man 10 years her junior um, Sir James Rookwood, and then like they went to the Alps and they like died, like they died in a, car- a carriage crash, like they fell off an Alp, as one of the one of them says later. And um, then their father just like drinks himself to death, and so they're like, and so you know they're ruined. So Aunt Beatrice comes along and is sort of like it was her sister, I think. Like I'm gonna put you up, but like do you're toxic. Right, the stain on our family's name from your mother's bad deeds really is going to haunt this family for a long time. But I will do what's right because I am a good Christian woman, and that's going to include having you live in this house, and I'll pay your mortgage, and I'll give Amanda a season. Mm-hmm. Then, when Amanda goes to have her season, she gets in trouble, right? And so then they are really like cast out to this little nowhere town in England. I can't remember the name of it, and um. Just kind of told, like, basically, like, just... Now you live there. Now you live Do not be perceived, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so a, one day, uh, Guy's at home, and his sister, Amanda, had gone out riding. And all of a sudden, it's like hours and hours later, and someone bursts in with... Oh, a, wait, but you missed the part. Wait. Oh, go ahead. Amanda writes a book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It starts off with Amanda has written, like, a gothic novel. It's great. <laughs> and she's... Because they are neighbors... They're the neighboring estate is this kind of like is owned by this really like remarkably charismatic kind of yeah. questionable rake who's clearly raking around sure. up there in the estate with all of his rakey friends. Yeah, but also the reason that they are also like it's real Montague and Capulet is yes. this guy, Sir Philip Rookwood. His brother was the one their mom ran off with. Yeah, ran away with their mom. So there's a family. They yeah, don't talk. Right. So no. It's a problem. But so Amanda has basically imagined what's happening up in this estate with all oh, these yeah. like reiki men being reiki. <laughs> 
being Reiki. And, um, and so she writes a gothic novel with him as the main character, and he is murdered yes. by this other character in the book who is modeled off after one of his closest friends, right. who's also a rake up there. Sir Darkwood, is that what it and is? And they've never been, oh yeah, and the names are like barely. Oh yeah, like, right. They're very like, you know, sh- they're, they're barely hazy. Um, it's like if someone wrote about our podcast and called me like Nenefer Mocop and your, yeah. era, you know, Era McLean. Like it's like. Yeah, exactly. Ben and Tara, right? <laughs> yes. Um, so. Yes. So the, it's very clear who they are. And so she writes this book as a lady, right? It's, it's a pseudonym, but like, come on, it's very clearly about these guys. And it gets, at the very start of the book, we are told the book is being published. This gothic novel is being published. And Guy is freaking out because it is salacious and scandalous. Yeah. And he is like, it is going to take Philip Rookwood 12 seconds to figure out to it's realize about him. that it's about him and that one of us wrote it. Yeah. Now, to you. So she he, goes on But, a ride. you know, they also, like, she's going to make 10 pounds. And goddamn, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So... It's kind of this, and he wants to support her because the other thing about this book is he loves his sister. Everybody's nice in this book. Everybody is nice in this book, but at the same time, this book is hot. And I think this is the other thing I really mm-hmm. like about this book is like, you know, when someone says, like, wants to call like a book like sweet mm-hmm. and they mean like no sex, this book is very sweet. Very sweet and very also charming. Very, very sexy. sexy right? So anyway, um, but I think the thing is there people are nice to each other, but also people are totally imperfect, right? And I think this is a problem. I think sometimes a lot of people are like, well, I want to write nice characters, but somehow they don't make them interesting. All these characters are super interesting. So anyway, Amanda breaks her leg somehow. Falls off her and, horse. And, like, not just her leg. She oh, breaks yeah. her, like, thigh. Her- yeah. Like, it comes shooting out of there, and oh. she's about to die. And luckily, she's on Sir Philip Brookwood's land and happens to one of his buddies is a doctor. And they— A hot doctor. A hot doctor. And they—so, you know, Guy gets this missive, I guess. I don't know how these—I would say email. It is not an email, everybody. It was decidedly not an email. <laughs> it's not an email. And they're like, you have to come over to Rookwood Manor. Your sister fell off a horse. She's about to die. So he, like, rushes over there. Yeah. Run over. and Well, no, and the, the message is like, bring a lady. Yes. Like, bring someone to be with her. Yeah. And so he's like, well, I can go be with her. Like, she's my sister. I'll and she bring gets her there. home. I'll bring her home tonight. And yeah. The owner of the house is like, Where's the lady? Like, she needs, like, like, she's going to get ruined here, man. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that's then, so then it turns but out But she's unconscious and bleeding out. She's she, not getting ruined yeah. anytime soon. She cannot be moved. The, no. da- the doctor, David, is like. How very lucky for everyone involved. If you move her, she's going to die. So, oh, yeah. So there's this hot doctor who's, like, also just, like, rough and, like, angry. Yes. He's like. I know about germ theory. And everyone's like, germ theory. And he's like, I know about germ theory. And he's like, don't move her. She's. If you bleed her, she'll die, right? Don't bloodlet her. Don't bring your leeches in here. <laughs> okay. 
All right. I did I'm not. I'm dramatic, everyone. It's not quite like that. It's better. I told you. It's better writing. Yeah. But that's how it, in my head I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's in here. Outraged. Local doctor. He's, surgeon. Yeah, he's outraged at like the local doctor. Bone sawbones. Yeah. Is that a dentist? I think that's a dentist. I don't know. So, look. Guy has no other choice but to stay at Rookwood Manor mm-hmm. and watch over his sister for weeks. For weeks. So what else is he to do but rake around with these other rakes that are just raking out up there? <laughs> so It doesn't make any sense, really. One thing that doesn't make sense is there are just a lot of rakes hanging out up there. Okay, so... They are so they. This is Sir Philip's country estate, Look, I'm right? For it. I'm not upset about it. Now this part's really interesting. He has these two besties, yeah, Corvin, Corvin, and Raven, yeah, and and then this hot doctor and the hot doctor hanging and around. These other two, um, these other two guys. Like then there's two guys who are like musicians, and then like yeah. also their valets who are also in love with each other. Anyway, John is around. Well, he's Raven. John? Yeah, John Raven. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. The three, Raven and Corvin, I feel like I should look that up. Corvin, Raven, and Philip. Yes. I made a note. Right. They call themselves the murder, which is like actually yeah, like. Of course they do. Cl- and Amanda's like, this is amazing. I'm putting it in a book. Yeah, I mean, like, keep who among us would not? Of course. And what transpires, right, is essentially like an awakening in every sense of the word for Guy. Right? Not just sexual. No. Yeah. But, like, I think that's... Because Guy's also, like, he's kind of a prude, and he's a little bit, like, he... It's like he doesn't... He do, he hasn't had very many life experiences, yeah. and he's never kissed anyone, and he's just kind of quiet. Yeah. Right. And... And very, like, scared, right? Like, scared of kind of life and scared of crossing his aunt and scared of what will happen if people find out about his sister's book. And, I mean, and now scared that he'll lose her. Like, this is, he doesn't even have any friends. I mean, this is, one of the things that I thought was also really fascinating about this book is we've talked about found family a lot. And, of course, the raven is, like, the true definition of found family, Right? The three of them right. found each other. The murder. Right. Yeah. John was actually a slave in Cor- Corwin's home, and then he free- Corwin frees him. And the three of them are, like, have been lovers and friends for going on, like, 15 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's... I think the other thing I forgot that I really liked about this book is... So, when I talk about, like, Guy's Awakening... One of the first, so of course at first he's just in the sick bed. He's just like watching over his sister, right? Because mm-hmm, she's, she's real sick. Yeah, like she's feverish. Like she and, could die. Yeah, like that's real, right? There's no penicillin. Except what's, what's in, oh, sorry. I mean, we're not there yet, but I want to talk about that sick, sick bedding. Oh, yeah. So Should we talk anyway, about it? I mean, but you're telling I think now. No, I think you should tell it now. So what's fascinating about this is, so he shows up and it's a very, it, it feels very much like he is, he's there for his sister. He's come on a mission. He feels like he has purpose. And there is this real sense in the writing that it might be the first time he's ever really felt like he knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing yeah. in exactly this moment. Right. And it is to support Amanda, right? Like it is to be present in the room with Amanda. Yeah. 
What's amazing about it is that we see the moment we see this, we are actually watching it through the eyes of God, of Philip. Uh, Philip, the owner of the home, like the owner of the home, who has never met Amanda. Now it's important to note though there's like a small mystery through this, which is or not really a mystery for the reader, but it's a mystery in general, where the book is is in hands at the house. Like yeah. the book Amanda's book. book turns up at the house. And then it's sort of a question of like how how soon are they going to the shoe is gonna have to drop, right? Like we're gonna have to understand that the book is about them and they're gonna have to find out that she wrote the book, right? But none of that happens at this point. Philip is watching Guy watch over Amanda, mm-hmm. and Guy is like talking to her in the way that you would talk yes. to your somebody you loved in their at the moment where you think they could die, yeah. right? And he is so drawn to the authenticity, the raw authenticity of Guy, that it's almost love. Like yeah. it feels like it's love from the jump for right. him, even right. though it's. Nobody in the nobody sees it as love, right? But we, as the reader, are just like so keenly aware of how much he likes this man from the start, right? Well, because he is a true, real, honest, good person. We've talked a lot about like found family and how appealing that is as a trope, right? And that is what yes. Philip has. Philip and his friends, his like group of friends, the murder, are tighter than anyone could be, right? Like they love each other, they have each other's backs, they know each other, they know, right, they call each other on their bullshit. I mean, like this, these are ride or die friends. But what Philip doesn't have is a family. Like, he, he was mm-hmm. a bastard and everybody knew it. And so although he officially, like, sort of takes the title because his brother dies, everybody knows that he's not his father's son. But it doesn't matter, right? Like, he was born in wedlock, so it is legally. And so Philip has – I mean, he essentially – the this home they're in, he was never allowed in as a child, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Philip does not have family. And he – it's not that he – doesn't appreciate the murder. He does. But what he, there's something about what Guy has that he really craves. And the opposite is true for Guy, right? Like Guy is like, I have this, this Amanda and I, are, we have each other. We have each other's backs. We love each other. We know that we'll always be there for each other. But he's so lonely. He's never yeah, had friends. Yeah, I don't have bros. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's something really interesting about a book that shows Two characters who have what the other one wants, but still appreciate what they have, right? Like you mm-hmm. can you can still want the love of a family, even with a found family, right? Mm-hmm. You can still want the love of friends and the kind of relationships that Philip has and have your family family, right? Mm-hmm. And I it doesn't have to be either or. I thought it was again just really beautifully done, that part of it. 
This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Lumi Labs, creators of the microdose gummy. We've talked about microdosing a lot on Faded Mates. Um, Lumi has been a, a sponsor of the show for a long time. And it's really fascinating how much more I hear about microdosing just in the world these days. It's commonly associated with psychedelics, but also with wellness and performance enhancement and creativity. Um, you know, Jen uses it to sleep. I sure do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have been using it recently just like to kind of chill out and like quiet my brain from the anxiety of like, you know, November and December. Um, Eric uses it for creativity. And I think what's very cool about this is that, um, generally people are finding that there are a ton of benefits to microdosing. So, Microdosing is available. Microdose gummies are available nationwide. And to learn more about microdosing THC, you can just do a quick search online or you can go to microdose.com and use the code FADEDMATES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Thank you to Lumi Labs for sponsoring this week's episode. There's this real sense that they're searching they're each searching for something, right? Yeah. And so what's what I love about it, what I love about the characterization is how KJ really slowly pulls each of them out of their comfort, like yes. where they are comfortable. So Philip, like you said, has the murder, like has these friends who, you know, are all like they all fuck each other first of all, but yeah. also like they are happy to to like, you know, take the piss out of each other too. Like right. they're, they're constantly talking shit about each other. And there's this kind of moment really early where they sense, you can tell that they're sort of sensing that Philip has noticed guy in like a different kind of way. And they refer to him as a plank. Yes. Right. Like that he's right. sort of a dull, Stiff. nothing person. Right. Right. Like Wouldn't. what's he even doing here? Right. Like, and at first, Philip plays along with it and, like, lets that happen mm-hmm. and, like, lets that be the description, the defining description of Guy. And then, you know, maybe halfway through, after he's had a couple of quiet moments of witnessing, again, the kind of depth, Guy's depth, his yeah. quiet depth, Um John refers to Guy as the plank, like, yeah. in conversation, and Philip checks him, yeah. right? And is like, no, wait, like, he's, there's more to him. Yeah. And suddenly, the, it shifts these kind of, these soft moments through the book where you see him shifting out of this, the rigid rakiness at the start and really becoming something more because he is so almost perplexed by this character who is so different than everybody he's ever known and now so compelling. And at the same time, there's the reverse, right? Guy is initially, you know, very buttoned up. Right. A super Virgo, right? (laughs) And, um, you know, I thought you were going to say a super virgin, that too. Also (laughs) that. Um, you know, really repressed, like, and tightly oh, yeah. wound. A plank, if you will. <laughs> and then he goes searching again, like you said. It's he, There's that moment where he goes, and it feels a little bit like he's just searching for these people in the house. Yeah. 
to watch them, to like yeah, see what they're all study about. Study them almost, well, right? And I want to talk about the dinner scene before we kind of get to that part because one and again, like one of the things I loved about this book is like I sort of had forgotten how much I love this scene. So basically, mm-hmm. like Amanda is finally well enough for Guy to essentially join the rest of these men for dinner. Oh, this pre this is this comes after what I was talking oh, about. Oh, okay, yeah. really? Because I thought the dinner came first before. No, and then when he st- when he comes in and he opens the door and he wa- he sees them. It doesn't fucking. matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You go. Because I think it, part of it is back to my theory about, like, awakening, right? Like, because it's not just, like I said, it's not just physical. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But, like, so he's Amanda's finally well enough. He goes to, you know, he can't really say no, honestly. He's a guest in their home. If Philip is going to pay all these medical bills, that, you know, his saved his sister's life, it would be churlish to not agree to go to not dinner. Not to attend right? dinner. So he does, and they are talking about, like, Ideas so radical, Philip has never even considered them before. Mm-hmm. Right about Christianity, about the Bible, about science, about how long the world has actually been around. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really liked about it is the murder clearly thinks that you know guy is just like such a local yokel, but mm-hmm. they are like they challenge him in a way that is not shitty. I don't know how else to say it, right? Right, right. Like, they're kind of like, well, why don't you just think about it? Why don't you just put that brain to work there, buddy? (laughs) You know? And I think it's so – but, like, Guy is just, like, wheeling. I mean, he's like, I have heard – like, the word atheism is used, and he's like, what? Like, and I just really liked how – that scene is played as, like, a real awakening for him as opposed to just, like, them dismissively thinking, like, look at this dummy, you know, who's, like, wandered Mm -hmm. into the room or whatever. I just really – and I just – and how Philip essentially tries to meet them, right? Like, literally, it's like, okay, I'm going to think about that stuff. And he goes and tells his short sister. She's basically like, I got to take notes. (laughs) Yeah. Get me a notepad. Right? (laughs) You know, and there is – it's – there's also the piece that is physical, right? There yes. is the the mental awareness that guy. There is so much more to the world for guy to learn. Yeah. But then the physical awakening, the physical awareness of these men As are out here. Yeah. Together and what they are doing, he's never imagined. But once he sees he sees it, he thinks to himself, like, this is. This is it. This is what I want. Well, and it was there was like a lot of really interesting like like hints that guy at some level knew, right? Like there was mm-hmm. something about how he had to like get like certain kinds of books and he had never really questioned himself about why they had to be like the, you know, unabridged versions or whatever. And you know, you get this idea that you're like guy at some point kind of knew, but like how would he even but then again, how would he He couldn't even know? like where would you even right. find the words to describe it? Right. right. And that's like a big theme in this book, like the mm-hmm. words to describe it, right? Yep. So he walks by Corwin. Corvin? Why do I keep saying the wrong name? What did Cor- we- Corvin. Corvin. With a V. Walks by Corvin and Philip. And it's clearly, like, a physical intimacy. Like, I think it's 
Corvin sitting. I think Philip has his hand on the back of his head and uh-huh. one, the other hand on his fly, right? He's about uh-huh. to, you know, take himself out. And what's fascinating is Guy walks away, right? Like yeah, he, he like sees it. He has McCree brain. <laughs> he, he like fizzles out and then he's like, I don't even know how to process that, but I, I know I like it, but I have to. I have to walk away from it. Just that snippet of it was enough. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But then there's that whole scene with the painting. Yes. Which I think is really fascinating. It's so well done. Oh, yeah. Raven is painting Corvin's portrait. And Philip and himself, right? Like, isn't... He also, maybe I, I don't know. Re- I mean, I, I don't remember. Okay, and they invite Guy or Philip invites Guy to come to the sitting. Yeah, just come in. But Raven is kind of a he's like a lot. Yeah, he's very intense, and so he's like, you can come, but you can't talk, <laughs> right? And you can't move, and you can't leave, right? So he has to sit through this entire portrait sitting without speaking, and it's just so like all he does is. Dare yes. at Philip the whole time. Yeah. And Philip is staring back at him. And so at one point, Raven's like, you got to sit over here. And he's like, okay, he told me not to move, but you're moving me. So I guess it's fine. And then like, we understand it's because Philip is looking just as much at him. Right. And it's so like. And then he so flees. Sexy. What I love is the oh, second yeah. it's over, he's like, I got to get out of here. And he runs to his sister to like comfort. To yeah. like. To safety. Who is definitely <laughs> falling in love with the hot doctor. Oh, yeah. Which right. is a really lovely part of the back. Like, that's happening in the background, and it's delightful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so, but I, this is where one of the things that's also really interesting about this about this book is, okay, so we have people that start off pretty good, right? Like, they have their foibles, they're imperfect. But what we start to see is that, like, Guy starts to get a little brave, right? Mm-hmm. And so the th- we see that he'd like run away, run away, and then he'd sort of engage more in conversation, engage more, and kind of the big like turning point between him and Philip is they go out for a walk. But like, you know, mm-hmm. a country walk, an England walk. <laughs> We're going to walk mm-hmm. for eight miles or whatever the hell they're going to do. Yep. And the other part is this is when I think we realize that Philip knew didn't he didn't see he didn't see guy peeking in or sneaking around but at some point he realizes that guy has figured it out or guy must, knows what's up guy knows what's up and Philip is kind of like well maybe he's really honest yes he's God. like I'm gonna be honest I would I totally what about I'm us? into you yeah I'm into you and if you wanted me to kiss you I would yes have you and ever kissed anybody and he says it and there's this kind of like 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 shakiness in the moment right because he's so forthright like yeah is so forthright and no one's ever been forthright with right. guy ever right. i think except for his sister right right and this is definitely not a like sibling thing and then then he says have you ever been kissed and guy says no i know and then there's this like and he and philip is like 
it's like he's been given a gift, yeah. right? It has this real like old school romance moment there where you're like, you could sort of tell Philip yeah. is like, yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be me. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, mm-hmm. God, I just, you know what it is? I think that this book is just so kind. But, all, yeah, you know, well, what I was gonna say <laughs> in all of, so there's this like, I mean, I, I'm not being fair enough when I say, like, there's this old school, there's this old school sense of that. There is, and you sort of get this sense that Philip is really, has a lot of pleasure about yes. it being him. But also, KJ is so careful to, like, really honor consent Oh, here. yes. Like, there's such respect between these two men. Yeah. And there is never a moment where... It feels like this is one of those situations where, like, a 28-year-old virgin. Right. You know, oh, it, yeah. could be, it could be messy. Right. And instead, it's just really lovely. Yeah. And it's really, Philip just honors Guy wherever Guy is at. Yeah. And I think that is so powerful, and it's so romantic. Oh, that's the thing about this book. This book is... Oh, yeah. Like romantic. I mean, and I, it's so dumb. We're talking about romance, right? But like some books are not romantic. No, this is so romantic. Uh, Then we get really, and here's the other thing, like KJ Charles just knows how to like, there's this thing we say in our family sometimes, which is like, keep it tight. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like, like, just. Oh, yeah. Keep it tight. Like, I don't know. It's just like every book is is probably 200 pages. I don't know. I just made that up. But it feels like like they're not, not as long. long. It's not far. It's 240 pages. Right? They're not as long, but they are like the they just are so tight like there's nothing extra. No, there's nothing extra. There's no also like this book couldn't be any longer. No. And part of the reason why is because everyone is so kind, right? right. There is no you know, the the conflict ultimately, such as it is, is that they do discover that this book, they dis- they read this book. Yeah. And they discover, oh shit, this book is about us. Right. But they and are delighted them, like said, by it. 12 seconds. Yeah. And then it's like Guy is consumed by guilt. Like he doesn't want Amanda to get in trouble. Like he doesn't want right. anything bad to happen to her. He, that for like, he thinks like, oh, maybe I'll tell them that it was me. Like, who wrote it? And so, but like ultimately, it's like not that big a deal. The conflict is society, right? Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing. I I found myself really thinking about this. So there's a couple different layers of like like the external conflict. Because ultimately, like Guy and Philip are in a little bit of a push-pull, right? Because Philip just said, like, He's like, I have to worry about my sister. I don't have money. I don't, I can't imagine this life that you lead. I don't want to be your thing. I need to know I can support myself. I mean, right, there's a lot of things that are kind of like wrapped up in the for Guy. Um, for Philip, it's all that's like a lot easier. It's more for him, it's the three of us, right? The murder, the the core three. We tried to not be together when John was married for a few years, Raven. And we were miserable, and he was miserable. And I, I've learned that these, I'm not like my relationship with them is still going to be my relationship with them. And maybe you'll join us. Maybe it'll be you and me, and me and them, and we'll figure that out. But this is, it's never even a discussion, right? But what the 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 part that's really interesting to me is it's 
how do we live together in a world where we can't be together? Because society does, like, there's no, we can't be gay men, openly gay men together, right? Like, there's a limit to what we can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, for Amanda, she's been ruined. So, how you know, how am I going to take care of her if I'm, like, your boy toy or whatever it would be, right? And so all of that is, but here's the part that I just really found myself thinking about in terms of, like, we've talked about contemporary romance is very popular right now. But it's hard to write sometimes like a real conflict when anything goes, right? Like the mm. rules of society yeah. are, are far more permissive, uh-huh. right? And so I don't know. I just was really interested in – Guy is very sympathetic even though what he is worried the most about is – Essentially, like, right, like society, look what society has done to us. It isolated us. It made me unaware of who I am. It put us kind of at the mercy of this difficult relative. You know, I have no prospects. I can't support myself. Like, look at what society has done to us. And yet, if what if I cross, if, like, what else could it take from me almost, right? Yeah, like, there is a freedom in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the part. I mean, it doesn't hurt that Philip is rich and. Yeah, of course. You know, but I mean. That he has this like rich network of, this network yes. of friends who support him. Right. Right. And Guy ha- has no idea what that's like. There's, his safety net is like a crossed thread. <laughs> right. And yeah. the truth is, is that Amanda would absolutely like support him and does. But like, there is a. But there is that fear too. Like, what? Sure, what the patriarchy. Uh, That's yeah. my job. I'm the older brother. I'm the man. I mean, all that stuff is so present in the book without weighing anything down. It's just there because mm. it's just how people are, right? That's why I think this book's so brilliant and so fun well, to read. It's like, so the characters here are so bright, mm-hmm. right? There's such a crystal clear there's a clarity to them that is really rare in all books right but there is a sense here that like each one of these characters is fully formed they have a very clear identity that is different from everybody else's mm-hmm. identity in the book there is there is such important and interesting and thoughtful character work here to yeah. the point where at the end you're a little sad this is one of her few standalone books. Yeah, right. And I'm I was really sad to leave these characters behind. Yeah. Well, I think part of it though is for me what was really interesting is because of the way Philip talked about his relationship with them. It, I, like I it it was hard for me to imagine, right? Like Philip and Guy's HEA involved like experiencing kind of the murder as it was. Mm. Right. And so I kind of get that if there's like future books with like those characters, you'd be kind of wondering, but what like, is there really to say? Yeah. Right. I mean, and I, but I mean, I also think like, I don't know, they're just delightful. Like the entire group mm-hmm. of the murder is like a hoot. Like they go out and hang out with Amanda and, you know, they're like 
<laughs> reading her gothic novel and mm-hmm. like howling with laughter and they love it and like the you know the, they're sh- they're sm- I mean it's kind of like I feel like in a lot of historical romance you get a character who's like a gentleman of leisure and they're kind of always like a stick in the mud you know, all they want to do is join the Astronomy Society and write their papers. Mm-hmm. Now these guys, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. These guys are like, yeah, we're going to talk about ideas, but we are also going to drink and fuck and have a great time. Yeah. And, and just, like, be the bells of the ball, essentially. I don't know. Like, yeah. You know? Well, and they're so welcoming, right? Like, they're my favorite moment in possibly the whole book is right at the very end when Amanda gets the bid for the next book. Mm-hmm. And they the publisher offers 40. Yeah. And Philip is like, don't you dare accept that. Yeah. Get 60 at least. Like suddenly they're just like, yeah. They're her, like she's theirs too. Yeah. And it feels so much. Yeah. I mean, we said this from the very jump. It's such a perfect romance because it is exactly the kind of romance that we talk about as a community. Yes. Like this, when you fall in love in this book, you fall in love with a whole world of people and it just gets exponentially larger and more beautiful. Yeah. Now, I think I'm going to say another thing, which is like, I know this is terrible, but one of the things I also really liked about this book, and this is like, look, no shade on this. I get... I get that romance is a fantasy, right? And it's fascinating to me, like, what parts of the fantasy are easier or harder for people to believe. So I am, like, all in on, like, the fantasy of the HEA. Like, I love it. It's f- I, I almost mm-hmm. always believe it. You know what I mean? I can name on one hand the books where I'm like, they don't work out, <laughs> right? Because I believe it. I just, I'm like, I choose to believe, right? Whatever Fox Mulder said, I want to believe. Mm-hmm. However, one of the things I do really struggle with in romance is the bad relative redemption arc. Uh, right? And so, you know, these, these characters have a terrible, and this is not just historical romance. This is romance ambiatrice. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody's got an ambiatrice. And oftentimes in a romance, there's like a single conversation where someone says, please don't treat me that way, <laughs> essentially. And then it's kind of like the magic wand gets waved and those people are going to have a better relationship. Mm-hmm. And I never believe that. I'm always really frustrated by like, how are you going to break the entrenched familial patterns that have been running your life for 30 years? Like, it's hard. Yeah. Right? And so I kind of, one of my favorite things about this book is that Aunt Beatrice stays pretty terrible throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. She gets a, she moves like a, she is truly terrible and she moves a millimeter, right, over. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, because she doesn't matter in the end. Right. Right? right. Like, Philip is going to take care of them all. Well, and they had already decided to free themselves of her. Right? Like, so essentially what happens is she shows up at the end, right? Aunt Beatrice, like, comes in and is basically like, this has reached me all the way in London. And Amanda and Guy, you're getting the fuck out of here. And I am going to take charge again. Clearly, you two cannot even, you ding-dongs can't even be trusted. You can't in this even tiny break a leg here. together. Right. Yeah. yeah, right? And 
Um, and it's really interesting because Guy kind of feels like he has no choice but to go with Amanda and his aunt. And Philip is, like, furious and is, like, very yeah. biting. It's very mean. And later on, I give Philip a lot of credit for saying, like, when you get upset, you run. And when I get upset, I'm mean. Sorry. We'll figure yeah, it out. what do you want? Right? This is how we're, we're wired. A Scorpio and a Virgo. <laughs> and... So Aunt Beatrice is like, I'm going to fix this. And she, like, brings her vicar or whoever and is like, he'll marry Amanda. But, like, they had already decided, like, we you can write your books and I'll get a job as a teacher and we'll figure it out. Like, we won't, we won't have to live like this. Like, I, Amanda might not have David and I might not have Philip, but we at least do, we'd have seen the world now. Right? Mm-hmm. And yet, Aunt Beatrice is, like, still pretty terrible the whole way through. But yep. they are sympathetic to her because, like, they're nice people. Right? They're kind of well, like... Well, and she has no power over them, right. ultimately. Right? right? Like, And they finally figured that out. I mean, it's yeah, like... it's like Labyrinth. Okay, I was going to say, no like... over me. Like, watching Hansel and Gretel, like, crawl right back out of the witch's oven. <laughs> right? I mean, like... Oh, okay, that. That, too. Fine. Because they do. I did imagine their little, like, house... Anyway, mm-hmm. but I love that. I mean, so, but I kind of love yeah. that, like, Aunt Beatrice does not say, like, oh, you know, because Amanda's boyfriend David is Jewish, right? And she's not like, oh, I accept this. You <laughs> her know, <I> boyfriend. Mean, <laughs> her boyfriend's Jewish. Amanda's boyfriend is Jewish. Sure. And Aunt Beatrice is, like, not nice about it. She is, like, basically has a fucking heart attack practically. And David is so nice. He's like, I'm going to try and save you. I mean, but I, I, and I don't know what that says about me, but I'm like the, the miraculous relative figuring it all out. You it, know, is not it's my favorite. just because in romance, like <sighs> genre drives us to be our best selves, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's that sort of hope yeah. that we might all find peace with each other. Right? Yeah. But I'm with you. I agree. I like sending characters to to Australia. I apologies yeah. to Australia for all those terrible people I've put on boats and books over the years. It's just so yeah, I mean I so I think that's part of it too is you know, the happily ever after is not I think essentially at like the end what we kind of decide is like like you were saying, like community wins. So like the Frisbee family and the murder are gonna like merge together and be stronger and better. And now it's like this new thing at the end. And they don't have to have terrible Aunt Beatrice having anything yeah. to do with it. Right? Yeah. They get to decide who they are now. That's like the power of this book ultimately. Yeah. And I mean, I think at some point, I actually think I highlighted. You know it. what it is, Jen? It's Matilda. It's that Harry Styles song, Matilda. <laughs> well, Guy actually says we have three score years and ten on this earth if we're lucky, right? Is it so bad to devote some of that time to enjoyment? What do you achieve by restricting yourself from pleasures that hurt nobody? Mm-hmm. And I was like, right the fuck on, man. That's why I love this book. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's a great book. KJ is a great writer. If you've never read anything by her, this yeah. one is top notch. Well, and we haven't really talked about the sex, but it is very hot. Super hot. So, and the, there's so much. This goes back to that sort of, um, she's so careful about yeah. 
constantly check they are constantly checking in with each other and that mm-hmm. is like essential for virginity right but also my favorite part my favorite bit of sex in this book is when guy is actually like Philip is giving Guy the words to yes. check in on him. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you could ask me if I wanted if you if I wanted to be kissed, you could yeah. ask me. Like, and so there are these, there are these really beautiful, super sexy moments. Oh yeah. A lot of Latin in this book. Who knew? A lot of Latin. Well, KJ <laughs> loves Latin. Loves it. Well, it's funny because I think this is probably one of the first books I gave my friend Elizabeth, who is a Latin teacher. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. listen. You got to read this. Listen, <laughs> you haven't seen fellatio. this much Latin. Ex- you haven't seen this much Latin since that two cathedrals episode of The West Wing, <laughs> which I watched this it's week. Great. It's a great episode. I, yeah, you get Hoynes. You get Hoynes, and God was like, "No, I do not." Yeah. So I mean, the, I think that's the part too. Is you have said all along for years, right? Like, dirty talk is all about consent, right? It's ongoing consent. That's it is that's so clear in this book, mm-hmm. right? It's so clear in this book. And here's the thing, dirty talk doesn't I've been thinking a lot about dirty talk recently because Tommy. there's a lot of it in KU. Oh yeah. Um and it's not always good. Right. And part of the reason why it's not always good is because it doesn't always do this, like, really sexy back and forth. Yes. This, like, constant sense of, like, I want, like, look me in the eye and hear me and, like, engage with me. It just feels like one person, like, blah, 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 blah. And I think that we have done ourselves a disservice in romance by telling everyone that they have to write dirty talk. Because some of us aren't very good at it. Well, or it's... And that's okay. I'm saying, like, you're allowed to not be good at it. Well, I feel like... But KJ is... Read this book. It's a master class. It's a master class. class. Right? Yeah. And it's... And it's... And it's... But I think the thing that's also so clear is it's not just about the, the sex, which is great and super mm-hmm. hot, but it's about Guy, like, learning that he literally has a voice. Right? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the book, he's, like, there's a way in which he, like, really stands up for Amanda at the beginning, but it's sort of mutely. Like, he doesn't really even have the words for it. Mm-hmm. But then when he, by the end, is, you know, there's this part where, like, this vicar or whatever, I forget his name, is, you know, like, like well, maybe an Amanda and I should talk. And Guy's like, she told you no. So, no, you're not going to talk. Right? Mm. And, and. And the guy's like, well, it's fine. You know, don't worry about it. And he's like, she said no. Right? And the way that he both can, like, verbalize now, right, his own thoughts and feelings, but also, like, would anyone have – I mean, we know from Amanda's past that she – right? Like, that she – who would ever teach her that for her? Like, does that Mm -hmm. make sense? And so Mm -hmm. I just thought, God, this book is everything. I love this book so much. I really do. It's really great. I'm really glad we read it. Yeah. I think it's a great book to end the year on, too. It's short. Yeah. This is the perfect book for you to read sometime between, like, Christmas and New Year's, like, when everybody's just in sloth. Right. It's short, and it's 
tightly done and it's so romantic and yeah. all you're going to want to do is like go be friends with a group of people like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I I it was a it was a real pleasure to reread. Like I mm-hmm. I I spent a nice couple of hours like kind of just like enjoying it and it's funny because sometimes when we reread for a deep dive like I, I'll skim or I'll listen to it on audio or I'll, you know what I mean? Like I've read this book before. I read this book. I read every word, right? Like I just was so taken. I was just as taken with it this time as I was the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Even though it takes place in the middle of summer, I feel like this is a great read for the holidays. Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know. I was noticing the other day that I like move all books to autumn in my head. Interesting. Sure, why not? When Harry met Sally. Yeah. All books are in autumn or set in autumn. I'm sorry if that's not what you've done. All right. So the final read-along of 2022. I think we did very well. Um, listen, here's the deal, y'all. There is a we might drop a little Christmas love on you on Christmas Day. Just because, you know, sure. Jen and I like to do stuff like that. Um, there is a New Year's Eve episode, as always. It is a delight, if I do say so myself. Um, we have sold out of the Old Town Books Fade we Amaze did. boxes. We did. Congratulations, everyone. Please post pictures of them on Instagram and Twitter. We want to see them. I want to see all those books. And if you give them away to people over the course of the next few weeks, take pictures of them with their smiling faces, reading their awesome books. Um, I want to send a special thank you to Diana Quincy, who signed, who went to Old Town and signed every single one of the books that was mailed out of hers. Um, What else? Well, I would like to say thank you to this week's sponsors, Lumi Labs and Jane Viner. Uh, I'm Sarah McLean, signing off. I'm here with my <laughs> friend, Jen Prokop. This is Faded Mates. We're here every Wednesday. You can like and subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. Um, and thanks again to our sponsors. The best way for you to support us as a podcast is support to support them. Oh, have a good one, everybody. We will see, we have some exciting news coming soon and we will see you in 2023.